Spider-Man always. Not always. Hey, welcome back to Screen Crush. I'm Ryan Erie, and let's talk about Across the Spider-Verse. I loved this movie so, so much. And even though like art is not a competition, I think it's the second best Marvel movie of this decade. In fact, I think this movie does a great job of highlighting what's been bad about the MCU over the past few years, especially a movie like Multiverse of Madness, which I'm gonna talk about a little bit later. And a little later, I'm also gonna be joined by Screen Crush Editor-in-Chief and Spider-Man book author, Matt Singer, and Screen Crush's Colton Ogburn, who, by the way, he has seen The Flash, and he's going to tell us how Spider-Verse and The Flash to multiverse movies compare to each other. But first, everybody, here's my take. So every time I watch the first Spider-Verse movie, I'm like still surprised at how awesome it is. It is a movie that's easy to forget about, but for my money, it's still the best Spider-Man movie ever made. And the sequel doesn't fall far behind it. The visuals of this movie are so inventive. Like it's very rare that you can sit in a movie, especially a superhero movie, and think, wow, I have never seen that on screen before. And yet this movie's animation even surpasses the first movies. Spider-Verse 1 was a comic book brought to life using Ben Day dots, sound effects, comic panels. I mean, Ang Lee tried to use comic panels in the Hulk, but these movies actually make them work. But in Spider-Verse 2, they took the concept of the multiverse and used it to ask, like, what does each universe feel like? Every Earth we visit has its own animation style that is unique to that world Spider-Person. So for Gwen's world, they took the comic covers by her co-creator, Robbie Rodriguez, and reimagined them into a whole world of watercolors and pastels. The softer lines give the universe a more feminine feel. And I love how the visuals are always reflecting Gwen's emotions. The environment brightens or darkens depending on her mood. After all, this is her world. And just that sequence where the helicopter is going to crush her dad and she like focuses, hearing the drum beat in her mind. It is a great way to show the teen angst of a girl using drums to beat out her emotions, but then how she harnesses that emotion to focus and save lives. Even the brief glimpse of Renaissance Vulture made you want to visit his universe. And Spider-Man India is such a fun break from the other spider heroes that we've seen for years. We're used to seeing these people haunted by tragedy. I mean, they joke, but they're always masking a swirling pool of dark emotions. People say the Raimi films were camp, but like there's a lot of crying in those movies. Whereas Spider-Man India hasn't had a tragedy occur in his life yet, so he thinks that being Spider-Man is easy. And his sequence is a breath of fresh air in a pretty heavy movie. And the visuals in his world are stunning, like every frame is showing off. So one thing that I noticed here is that if you look close, oh my gosh, that, that's amazing. Oh, you smell something nice? Yeah, yeah, it smells like Indian sandalwood, Indonesian nutmeg, and grapefruit. That's my cologne, Doug. It's called Sexual Secret Man by Michelle Germain. But this is such a fancy cologne. How could you ever afford it? Ah, it's easy. I subscribe to Scentbird. They're the sponsor of this video. These bottles are super easy to use. You just twist, push, and really nice. So this is a great service for a guy like me because I have no idea what makes for a good cologne. And cologne is expensive, so I didn't want to drop a lot of money on a pricey bottle just to find out I didn't like it. See, Scentbird is a fragrance subscription service that lets you skip any month without penalties. So if you're new to wearing cologne, this is a great way to start. Now, to educate me about the cologne, they sent along a descriptive card that explains the ingredients and the proper occasion to wear the cologne. This month, my favorite was Grandmaster by Mind Games. It's got hints of rosewater, Kona coffee, incense. It's an intense fragrance, but only when you get too close. See, these samples are actually eight times bigger than a normal sample size you get at a store. You choose your own designer fragrance every month for just $17. You get a 30-day supply, and then you get to pick what you want to receive, so there's like no surprises. This is a great way to learn about cologne, to find what you like without spending hundreds of dollars for a bottle. So if you want to give Scentbird a try, click this QR code and use our code CRUSH55 and click the link in the description to get 55% off. That's just over $7 for your first month available in the USA and Canada. Thanks again to Scentbird for sponsoring our video and check out our sample links below. You really do smell great. Thanks buddy, high five. 
Now back to what I was saying. The movie's real success is these spider heroes never feel redundant. It's crazy how there are so many spider people in this movie, but they all seem to have the same core, the essence of what it means to be a spider hero. They always get to the heart of Spider-Man's story, that he is a hero who can never have his cake and eat it too. Spider-Man or woman is always defined by this push and pull between what they want and sacrifice, a life of happiness or the life of a hero. Like Peter too tried to make his money wrestling so his uncle gets shot. Peter three has to promise to stay away from Gwen and Peter has to give up being with his friends in order to keep them safe. And in this movie, Miles is struggling to balance his civilian life with the hero's life. He can't save New York and be a good son to his parents. His greatest fear is that his parents will reject him if he tells them the truth. Actually, there's quite a lot of queer subtext in that now that I think about it. So, uh, when did you first know you were a... A mutant? Uh, and by the way, everybody, I just want to thank you for watching and supporting our channel. We have this awesome new Doug as Spidey pointing meme that is available at our merch store at shopzeroedition.com where we have tons of other cool merch. Also, you can subscribe to us on TikTok or Insta where we have brand new videos that you can't see on YouTube. And we have a podcast that's currently uploaded on iTunes and Spotify and all the different things. So thanks again. Back to what I was saying. So the movie takes this classic Spider-Man push and pull between private and public life and they make it unique to Miles and his story. The MCU has mostly abandoned this idea of superheroes and secret identities, but this idea is central to Spider-Man's story. In the comics, we've seen an era when Peter becomes Spider-Man full-time, and he quickly gets like very dark and very violent. See, this public and private half of Spider-Man balance each other out, and this movie perfectly nails this balance. Early in the film, it's an internal struggle, but later in the movie, it becomes a literal struggle. Miles has to let his father die to save the multiverse, to choose his duty as Spider-Man over his own family's life. Now, I don't think this movie is perfect, and I don't like it as much as the original. For starters, it's pretty darn long. I feel like there's a lot of unnecessary buildup when he gets to Earth 42, when the computer screen here right before he leaves clearly says he's going to Earth 42. And as a huge fan of Spider-Man 2099, I wasn't thrilled with how he's used as just another villain in this movie. Miguel O'Hara's future is supposed to be cyberpunk, dystopian, but this version lives in a society if me. Miguel in the comics is a loner who I doubt would ever lead a group of spider people, but like maybe I'm nitpicking here. I just want to see the version of Spider-Man 2099 that I love put on the big screen. But no matter what, you have to admit that this movie is so, so much better than any recent Marvel movie except for Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And I think that that all comes down to planning. Our friend Adam Lance Garcia was on the show here and he said that he thought that Marvel learned the wrong lesson from Iron Man. Like with that movie, they rushed into production without a script. And it worked out fine through improvisation and making things up as they went along. And now they do the same thing, fixing things as they go, scheduling these massive reshoots and squeezing visual effects artists until the result is like bland CGI that we saw in Quantumania. But this movie is so methodically planned out because it has to be, it's animation compare this to another multiverse movie, Multiverse of Madness. Now, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is a good Sam Raimi movie and a pretty good Marvel movie, but it kind of sucks as a multiverse movie. Heck, it's not even the best multiverse movie to come out last year. That's everything everywhere all at once. So in Multiverse of Madness, we don't really get to see the multiverse. There's like one fun sequence where we fly by the multiverse like we're channel surfing, but those universes don't really matter. And in the 838, none of the Illuminati had like any personal connection to Steven apart from Baron Mordo. It even feels like like they cut and pasted heroes depending on whatever actors were free, because that's exactly what they did. Daniel Craig was supposed to play Balder the Brave, but he wasn't free. Elizabeth Olsen wasn't even on set with John Krasinski. You don't know him at all? I don't think so. 
No, I've never met him. When you're changing so much of the movie on the fly, it gets harder to make an emotional connection with the heroes. And look, I love Marvel, love the MCU, and I think that they've course corrected some of their problems. There are rumors that former Disney CEO Bob Chapek forced Marvel to create more and more series for Disney+, Plus, which seemed like a panic move after COVID shut down movie theaters for so long. No, 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 I said more Mandalorian! And we can see this reflected in the quality of the product. Marvel's first wave of shows was a huge hit. They had bangers like WandaVision, Loki, Falcon Winter Soldier, Hawkeye. You were there, you remember. The second wave was a bit mid with Moon Knight, She-Hulk, Ms. Marvel, and now the third wave of shows are getting like seriously halted or they're gonna dump them all in one day. Like Echo is getting a one day release and Agatha Coven of Chaos, like who even knows when that show's coming out. The point is that Marvel is starting to hit the brakes and be a little bit more methodical and less reactive. Sony's Spider-Man universe was always like the MCU's annoying kid brother, but these animated movies show a breadth of maturity and planning that Marvel really needs to bring back to their franchise. This movie and Guardians 3 show the benefit of having a plan, a script, and focusing on your characters first and your saga second. So I'm going to talk about how this movie connects to Doctor Strange 2 in a later video. But that's just what I think. Now I'm joined by two of my favorite people. We have Screen Crush editor-in-chief and Spider-Man author Matt Singer and Screen Crush's Colton Ogberg. And Colton has actually seen The Flash and has some interesting things to say comparing The Flash to Across the Spider-Verse. But Matt, I want to start with you. So you're somebody who, when it comes to Spider-Man, I, I just greatly respect your opinion. You've written two books on Spider-Man, counting the tiny one. And you're just somebody who I feel like really knows this character, not just what the character has done, but what makes the character tick. So I want to hear from you about, you know, your thoughts on this movie, comparison to the first one, and most of all, like, did it did it work as a Spider-Man film? Oh, it certainly works. I mean, the only thing I, I think you can really knock the movie for is, it you know, it, it is half a movie. It's half a story, and, you know, it, it does feel that way. And there is a couple of scenes that uh, I feel like, you know, maybe they could have trimmed down a little bit. I mean, I don't think it's possible to have made what this plus the next movie into a single movie without it being, I don't know, a four-hour epic, which I would have absolutely watched and probably enjoyed if they had done that. So, I mean, I, I you know, it's sort of a, you know, it's like a catch-22. Like, I don't know what they could have necessarily done to alleviate that. It does feel, you know, like it's it's sort of half of a, of a story. But... I felt like it was an incredibly uh, compelling and successful and beautiful and imaginative and creative half of a story. And uh, I had a, a great time watching it. I've seen it twice. I, I took my uh, daughter to see it this, this uh, weekend because she really likes the first movie. She enjoyed it too. She's a little confused about the, that last act. There was a lot of like, you know, like... You know, trying to explain physics to a seven-year-old and multiple <laughs> dimensions. That got a little thorny. But but she really liked it, and uh, she hasn't stopped playing with her and my Spider-Man toys uh, since <laughs> the movie ended. So I, I would call it a, a big success overall. And and just for the, the parents watching, your daughter is seven now? I have two daughters. This one is seven, you know, so she's yeah. a little older. Yeah, and I, 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 it's, I, I think it might... I, I'm not sure if it's rated PG or PG-13, but yeah, she handled it fine. It, it really, you know, it's definitely like the multiversal aspect is something that I don't think little kids can fully wrap their heads around without some sort of grown-up there explaining it. But it's not really like a scary movie or anything like that. It's it's definitely... Well, well, a lot of adults can't even handle... Uh, no, a lot of adults can't handle the multiversal aspect. Like, fair, it's getting fair. confusing for everybody at this point. So fair enough. I don't blame... You know, hopefully your daughter just enjoyed it for the story and not necessarily needing to understand particle physics and dark matter to get right. through it. 
Um, Colton, how about you? What did you think of the movie? And uh, Well, speaking of uh, Spider-Man toys, I actually picked up all the uh, Across the Spider-Verse action figures. Thought I'd show that off. I have, <laughs> some, I have some back. There's some back there. I don't know if people can see them. <laughs> nice. Um, I think I might I'm have the movie sure. on the shelf here somewhere, actually. <laughs> I picked that out somewhere up there. I feel conflicted. I, I, I really enjoyed the movie, and I'd say more so I, I respected this movie. It, it did things that I never thought I'd see happen in a comic book movie, and I feel like I'm saying that a lot lately with all the different multiverse films and shows that are coming out. But even in a world where we have films like Spider-Man No Way Home and Multiverse of Madness, even in a world where those films exist, I, I was still surprised by how bold and how big this film was. Even in some areas that were personally a turnoff for me, like um, the, the Roger Rabbit stuff, it, that was kind of a turnoff for me. Uh, just Roger Rabbit stuff? Yeah, like the live action, you know, characters oh, in the yeah. animated world. I I won't get into that. I, I I worry about the implications of what that means. So what happens when a live action character meets a cartoon? How, how do you interpret mm. that? I like the idea of if Miles were to ever meet Tom Holland, they they wouldn't be aware that they look different. Kind of how Star Wars does it with. You never right. hear Obi-Wan say, oh, I was a cartoon the same as your father. You, you know, you don't hear that kind of thing. Yeah. So, well, hold on. Oh, you, you've dipped your toe into this, and now I have to feel like I have to kind of like okay. take a side journey here, and let's work out the, the universe logic here. So gotcha. in What If, right, we see these characters who I'm pretty sure aren't purely animated universe characters. Right. But in Multiverse of Madness, they do pass through a universe where everything is animated. Mm -hmm. um, also, in... Spider-Verse, we see Gwen in her universe looks very different from how she does in Miles' universe. She's painted like those Robbie Rodriguez covers that I talked about earlier. Whereas when she goes to Miles, she's sort of like rendered in that world style, like Ben Day dot yeah. style. So I think that it's not that everybody is either an animated character or a live action character or whatever, that they're just shown in different ways when they're in different universes. So if Tom Holland went to Miles' universe, he would be animated and like you said, wouldn't notice the difference. But the reason Donald Glover looks regular and the reason why the movie flashbacks are still there is because like Donald Glover is encased in a, a, a like a cell that keeps him inside of like his own confined universe there. How's that for a justification? Does that work? That's a very good justification. I still don't like it though. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you had to explain it away. Yeah. Yeah, that works. Yeah. Well, not to be contrarian. I mean, it's a really good movie i i hate to be the guy that's like eh, it was all right i i don't know it it was a good movie i i saw a lot of reviews you know before it came out people were just acting like you know it was the second coming type of movie and then when i saw it i was like yeah it's good but to kind of echo what matt said it's long it's really long mm -hmm. i i also when thinking about okay well what could they have cut i was also kind of met with the well I don't know what they could have cut. I mean, it seemed, while it was a long movie, it felt also like a tight movie. Like, they, they took out mm -hmm. all the fat. So if you were to ask me, well, what specifically should they have taken out, I, I don't have an answer. It just felt a little long. It felt a little drawn out. And, yeah, it, it's very much so a part one. It's an incomplete story. So that kind of bothered me a little bit. And one of the things I love about Spider-Man, not just Spider-Man movies, Spider-Man stories, the story of Peter Parker, and I didn't write the book on Spider-Man like Matt, so I, he would know better than me. But the Spider-Man, 
from Amazing <laughs> to Spectacular by Matt Singer, available on Amazon and at bookstores today. Thank you. Yes, I'll, your, your residual check is in the mail, Ryan. Thank you very much. <laughs> but the, the story of Peter Parker and Spider-Man is really at its core. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on around him. He's fighting scientists that have turned into lizards and have giant mechanical arms. But at the core of the story, it's about Peter Parker and his struggles and trying to balance his life and stuff like that. And I feel like Across the Spider-Verse did that with Miles. It's a big multiversal movie, but it focused on the, the just the personal struggles of Miles, trying to be accept, feel accepted and find his place in the world. I loved all that, but I feel like they didn't balance it well. I feel like the sheer scale of this movie and the multiverse and all the Spider-People, I feel like it may have overshadowed Miles's story a little bit. And granted, I've only seen the movie one time. I'd like to see it again before I have like a definitive like opinion on that, but as of right now, that's how I feel. I'm I think that um the issue is uh that Colton is talking about is that it really like I don't think it 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 um is imbalanced so much as it is sort of like compartmentalized. You know, they really spend a lot of time on Miles and his parents and Gwen and her father and those all those relationships. You know, it's like almost, mm. I would guess, I didn't time it, but it's like, it feels like it's almost like an hour of the movie is about that. But then mm. once they sort of go to Mumbatton and then uh, Spider-Man 2099's uh, uh, Nueva York, I mean, they're just not in that part of the movie. They literally, they're physically not, like, available, and they don't really cut back to them and what they're doing. So I think that's sort of the mm -hmm. issue that you're talking about. It's like, um, I think that there's a lot of character stuff in the movie. Um, like, if you are a reader who reads Spider-Man 4, Peter and Miles and Gwen, as much as you're reading for cool action, like, I think the movie has a lot of both. It's just... It's like a lot of the character stuff is front-loaded, and then a lot of the action is more towards the, the back half. I, th I, think is, uh, I think that's very fair to say, even if you enjoy the movie. I, I, don't, I, I find it hard to like, argue with that aspect. I would agree, because come the end of the film, when Gwen goes back home, or um, and, you know, and Miles has his situation with his parents, it feels like all of that was so long ago at the beginning of the film is mm -hmm. kind of how I felt on that. You know, Colton earlier was talking about um, the essence of Peter Parker, things like that. Matt, one thing I thought this movie did great is, and I had to be careful with my wording in, in the scripts I've written, is it wasn't just about Peter Parker. It was about Gwen and Miles. Like her first line says, let's do things differently this time. One thing I love though, is that it took these different characters, but kept the core of what makes Spider-Man, Spider-Man. You know, earlier I talked about the duality, having your cake, eating it too. How do you think the movie did as far as bringing that aspect of like the Spider-Man-ness or like what defines the character into these other characters and, and did it make us care as much about Miles and Gwen as we typically do about Peter Parker? Well, that's, you know, that's an interesting question because I feel like I haven't fully even wrapped my head around that aspect of the movie after two viewings. Um, that was really something that really jumped out at me the first time and then when I went back and saw it again this weekend with my daughter, and I wasn't explaining things to her, like, okay, this is, this is, this is, like, the moments where I wasn't doing that, this is the stuff that I was really trying to explain to myself. Um, all of the stuff involving the canon, um, and the fact that, um, you know, they don't call it fixing the timeline, there's no sacred timeline, there's no... 
no, no, we have to protect history, or... It's all the canon. These are canon events. This is the way the story is supposed to be told. And so there's, there's this whole meta aspect to the movie. And maybe I'm not quite answering your question exactly how you asked it, but this is what I was really thinking about, right? Is the idea that, you know, we had Peter Parker, who, uh, you know, we all love, and for 50 years or whatever, you know, he was the, essentially the only Spider-Man. And the, his stories were told in a very specific way, and there was, there's, I mean, there was something beautiful and perfect about them. That's why they were told so many times. It, it, like, they worked so perfectly. Um, but that we have all these other Spider-Men now, and their stories may not necessarily need or want to be told in that specific way. And that's sort of like what we're watching unfold in that second half of the movie, where you have... Spider-Man 2099, uh, and maybe maybe this would almost work better if, uh, instead of Spider-Man 2099, like, it was a different Peter Parker, like an older Peter Parker or something, maybe would make this make more sense. I'm literally thinking about this as I'm saying it. Um, I hadn't even considered this before. I, I actually the, agree, by the way. I think that would have been... just the idea yeah. that, like, he is, like, the protector of the canon, and we tell these stories the way that they're supposed to be told, you know? And that the idea that every Spider-Man has to have an ASM-90, the death of George Stacy, the death of Captain Stacy, it happens because it has to happen, and it's always happened. Well, you know, and, it, and, and that's a great comic book, and it's been used in really interesting ways uh, throughout history. But, uh, you know, the idea of Miles, like, struggling against that and wanting to do his own thing, literally, I'm going to do it my own way, um, and sort of the meta aspect of that, I find really, really interesting. And sort of an interesting twist on the original movie, where, you know, the first Spider-Verse was so much about, you know, this, this character who thinks he's alone, discovering that he's not alone. That there are the, that like, people who feel like outsiders, in fact, that there are, the, there's this community of outsiders. Well, here, it's like, even amongst the community of outsiders, this character is still an outsider. And, uh, you know, and even when you think you've found your people, you may not belong, you may disagree, you may not see eye to eye. So all of these ideas, I think, are super interesting. Um, I, I sort of want to wait and see how they're resolved in the next movie, because there's a lot of ways it could go. There's a lot of we could sort of talk about, like, what could happen next. And some of those things could affect the sort of the message and the meaning of all of that, right? What Spider-Man 2099 does. I mean, I don't think we all, I think we all imagine eventually he's going to change his mind, right? Uh, probably. And that will have an effect on what all of this means. But... For, for now, it's like a super interesting thing to think about. It's like how this movie thinks about Spider-Man stories and broader stories in general and franchises, telling a franchise story over decades, telling uh, Marvel stories over that time, telling any story, telling making a sequel, how you make a sequel. Like all of that is super interesting to me. And it's like all reflected in all that stuff with the canon and Spider-Man 2099 and sort of my favorite part of the movie to think about, basically. And along with the subtext there is that it's a, a, a multiracial Spider-Man of color and a, a Spider-Woman, and them finding their own place where they don't have to necessarily follow the norms that have been set in place before. That's a brilliant observation. 
Um, Colton, I want to get kind of your thoughts on something Matt briefly touched on there, which is like the canon and things like that, and how when you look at this movie, I feel like this movie in a little over two hours, did the multiverse better than the MCU has in four or five movies and TV shows as far as explaining it? I think this movie did a much better job of being like, yeah, here's absolute points in time, here's branching timelines, here's the multiverse, and kind of presented the whole thing in one package. Whereas like for somebody following the MCU, even a, a very, somebody following it closely, you would have to watch Loki and Multiverse of Madness and all these other things to like get the gist of this. So do you think this movie showed like a way forward for how the multiverse story should be told in a franchise? The thing about this movie is that it's a sequel to a multiverse movie. These movies have always been about the multiverse. I mean, it's not with the MCU. It's a relatively new thing that has an audience. And then you're bringing this new, I hate to say gimmick, but this new thing in that people aren't familiar with the spider verse movies have always been about the multiverse. And yeah, I think in the first film, they did a really good job at just saying, here's the general idea. There are other worlds out there with other spider people. And they explained it really simply but also detailed. I mean, you, you understood it. Even if you're not like, you know, a, a nerd like us, it, you can understand what's going on. And yeah, I think that Across the Spider-Verse uh, did do a good job at just saying, here's the deal. Yeah, you have your big explainer scene, and I really liked how, like Matt said, this is a very meta movie. It's extremely meta. And it's even meta at the part where Miguel is like, uh, do the thing. Uh, what thing? You know, the, the explainer thing. And it's like, oh, yeah, okay, we're about <laughs> yeah. to get the part of the movie where yeah. they explain everything that's going on to Miles, but really to us. So, yeah, I think they're handling the multiverse well. Multiverse in general, though, it's beginning to be a little much. And that's a conversation for another time. But, yes, in a world where everything is multiverse now, MCU's multiverse, DC's doing multiverse, Sony's doing multiverse with their Marvel stuff, I'd say Sony is doing perhaps the best job. Sony yeah. animated, because we can't forgive what Sony happened animated. at the end of Morbius. Yes, that, that's that true. was the worst. Like, it, look, we can nitpick the MCU all you want. Like, well, is it clear what's the sacred timeline if there's yeah. more than one timeline? But what they did at the end of Morbius was unforgivable. You're exactly right, and I actually have written in my notes, I, I wanted to say, you can tell that Sony Animation and Sony Pictures, they are two different studios, essentially, and you so. can tell very much so, yeah. yeah. So, just to uh, bring that back around, do you feel like this movie's doing it better than the MCU? Like, in a cleaner way, or are you kind of happy with where the MCU's at? Both. I I think Spider Across the Spider-Verse perhaps did do it better in in terms of in a quick fashion and just mm -hmm. explaining it all in a in a short you know span of time in one scene i think they did that better but i'm happy with how the mcu has done it yeah it, it's a little confusing probably you know you've had you have to see loki oh did you see the post credit scene of quantum mania oh well did you see multiverse of madness mm -hmm. oh well how does that work in endgame yeah that's all a little much but with the mcu i think sometimes when we say you know, we talk about how, oh, is it too much that you have to see this show or that movie? That's really what the MCU has always been, to be fair. Mm -hmm. Like, they they do culmination films. That's their big thing is culmination films of all their other movies. 
So I, I don't think it's too much for the MCU to ask, hey, watch our shows, watch our movies. Maybe they don't need to put out so much. We've talked about that before. But yeah, I, I think it's it's done it better. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the MCU is doing it wrong or bad or anything like that. Matt, same question to you. When you stack this multiverse up, and I think it's the same multiverse, they're still connected. So I guess I, when you stack like the way the, these multiverses are portrayed... Do you think that Spider-Verse showed, like, a way forward that's a little cleaner than the MCU? Yeah, I mean, I guess it is, but, I mean, they they also just have the advantage of, you know, they don't really have to connect to anything else, right? They, they I mean, mm-hmm. they can, you know, and they, obviously, they there's references in this one to the Andrew Garfield movies, the Tobey Maguire movies, and to Venom, and I guess, therefore, by extension, Morbius in some uh, sort of circuitous way. <sighs> Yeah. But they're not, but, but, um, you know, they don't have to worry about what's going on over here and what's going on over there. They can sort of take what they want and, um, focus on that and they don't really have to sweat the other stuff. So they just seem to have a lot more room to kind of play with it and be sort mm-hmm. of like playful about, well, here's a Spider-Man who's a cowboy and his Spider-Man who's a horse. Like, and here's a Spider-Man who's a, who's the Spider-Mobile if the Spider-Mobile was sentient. Like, that's the sort of stuff that's kind of fun in any multiverse story is the kind of um, that sort of stuff that could never happen within sort of the uh, main continuity. And the thing is with, you know, um, with the MCU is, yeah, they can kind of do that with like the What If series. I guess that's maybe the closest they get to that. But because they're they've turned like the main MCU and the main storyline into the multiverse they kind of that can that they really have to keep that sort of yeah so that's only that's got to be sort of very brief very minor while they're telling this grand epic uh you know story and here i guess they do at times you know all of um you know miguel again talking about the canon and it could be a canon killer we could lose the canon and the whole story um they find a way to um even with those enormous stakes they find a way to kind of keep it as a very sort of focused story, and it's about Miles and what he is going to do and his decisions, and um, and they also find room to have it be, at times, a very sort of fun and silly um, movie and embrace that side of what you can do with mm-hmm. a multiverse, you know? With Ben, you know, the way they treat Ben Riley is like so, you know, like <laughs> it's hard to imagine, uh, you know, like if the MCU wanted, you know, like if they wanted to make like a clone movie with Tom Holland, you couldn't have that be that no. character, right? It just wouldn't you work. Could not, but as no, because it, it would undermine the entire story, exactly. Right. But as the comic yeah. relief in this bigger story, it works perfectly. Mm-hmm. Now, one interesting thing I think I would use to make this comparison is this movie to me is like Loki episode five where Loki goes to I forget what they call it up like that nether world where he meets all the variants of himself but in meeting all the variants of himself he is shown who he is the various paths he could have gone down which is really the core of any multiverse story which is oh is there a universe where I would have done this and this would have been different like it's a wonderful life you know so I think Loki episode five for me was a lot more like this particular movie whereas multiverse of madness hits a little bit more like spider-man no way home and that like it's awesome it's a lot of fun seeing dr octopus and and green goblin and all these things against tom holland but it's not like those villains 
meant anything to that version of Peter Parker. Whereas had this been a Peter Parker that had been around for years, who was haunted by the failures of these, if that would have meant something to him, then him trying to fix them would have been like a, a great resolution. Like that should have been movie number six of Tom Holland's story. Um, but it was still awesome and fun. And I think with the MCU, we're going to get to a point where Secret Wars, we may end up with a movie that is awesome and fun. And we're going to have James Marsden and, and Hugh Jackman and all the different Peters Parker and all these people. But if the character isn't there, if we don't really, if, if it's not fulfilling for the characters to see all these different variants, then it, it may ring a little bit hollow. Um, Colton, today, actually, the Flash review embargo has lifted. And you've seen The Flash. You saw it at CinemaCon. I know some of the effects weren't finished, and you still haven't seen that mystery post credit scene. How would you stack The Flash up against this multiverse movie? You know, one month, two different comic book multiverse movies. Who wins? Well, it, it's no secret that I, I loved The Flash. I, I talk about it all the time. I, I, I really, really loved that movie. And to compare the two, while Spider-Verse went big and... Flash, on the other hand, while it, it went big as well, it, it still felt more intimate. It felt like an early 2000s comic book movie. It, it's just the right length. It, it spends just the right amount of time on each character. It, it gives you like this perfect balance of all the different emotions that you would feel in this type of movie. And... It's complete. Like we talked about, Across the Spider-Verse is not really a complete story. It's kind of like an Empire Strikes Back. And while I am comparing Flash to Across the Spider-Verse here, I gotta say, Flash feels a lot like a Spider-Man movie to me. Uh, it feels specifically like a Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie. And really, every hero story has that basic story of balancing your life, you know, your your family and your loved ones and your significant other with, you know, the greater good and fighting bad guys and stuff. But I feel like even though every superhero movie kind of has that trope, Spider-Man has that specifically. Like, I feel like Spider-Man is just the perfect example of that kind of story. And I feel like Flash, when I watch Flash, it just feels like a Spider-Man story. And when comparing Across the Spider-Verse to Flash, I guess I could kind of say I feel like Flash did it better. And I, I know that's kind of weird to say, talking about a, a DC movie and it's the character of the Flash, but I feel like it hit all the right beats of what I expect to see in a Spider-Man movie. So both of these films have stakes. They're both huge. They both talk about the multiverse and stuff like that. But instead of the multiverse feeling like a gimmick and having no consequences, Across the Spider-Verse tackles that well, but I feel like Flash tackled it even better. It you You feel the stakes even more so in the Flash. And one of the key things I've heard compliments about on Across the Spider-Verse was, you know, it outdoes the MCU with actually having stakes and consequences mm -hmm. for the multiverse. Well, wait till you see Flash. It, it does it even better. All right, so we're going to leave it there. Um, if you haven't read it yet, Matt Singer has got a great review of Spider-Verse on the Screen Crush website. Also, don't forget, he is the author of Spider-Man from Amazing to Spectacular. Matt, where can the people find you? Uh, well, lots of stuff about Spider-Verse, yeah, at ScreenCrush.com, and you can follow me on Twitter, at Matt Singer. And Colton Ogburn, where can the people find you? 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Colton Ogburn and uh, videos here on Screen Crush. And here's all my Spider Verse action figures I want to show <laughs> off. <laughs> And uh, Colton's also a great Twitter follow as well. So thanks again to Scentbird for sponsoring our video. Check out the links below. And guys, we want to know what you think of all this. Let me know your thoughts down in the comments or at me on Twitter. And if it's your first time here, please subscribe. Smash that bell for alerts. For Screen Crush, I'm Ryan Airy.